Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. I've spent the first part of this year, the first part of this year, purposely not sharing from the pulpit. This is my first time sharing this year. And um, I had to spend, and I wanted to spend, dedicated time in reflective prayer and uh, really weighing up what is the Lord saying for Centre Church? What is the word and season for us? And I believe over the last few weeks we've received several words and season for Centre Church. There have been some really powerful words that come forth. And of course the initial question to ask is, are we listening? Are we applying what we're hearing? Are we actually taking it in? And a year and a year and a half ago, I shared uh, on the first chapter of Haggai. The first chapter I shared on, and um, it was entitled "First Things First. I don't know if you remember that. First things first, and it actually started um, a series in our church for a, a five or six weeks where we were looking and recognizing that which we'd neglected in our walk with the Lord. Identifying what causes us to say no to him, but then how it's necessary to walk in obedience to him. And we looked at so many different aspects. And I've come back full circle to the words of this minor prophet, Haggai, today. But I'm going to be looking at a different message that he gave to the people, of which have applications for us to take hold of. If you didn't know, Haggai contains four messages that he gave to the people, given over a four-month period. So it's only in a short window, but he delivers four messages to those people. And last time, I gave the first message that he gave. But before I delve back into the words of this minor prophet, I think it's very important for us to understand the background, understand what this minor prophet was speaking into. Because it's very easy when we look at the words of scripture, especially when we go into the prophetic books, we can pick out these verses and say, oh yeah, this is a great word, but then we don't understand the time in which it was given, what he was speaking into. And when we understand that, then we can know how to apply it to our everyday. And so when you look at the book of Haggai, when you turn into this minor prophet, the date is around 520 BC. It's good context to understand. 520 BC is when Haggai is speaking. And it's nearly 70 years after the Israelites, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation, they were in exile. 70 years after they were in, went into exile at the hands of another nation called the Babylonians. And the temple, the great temple, which is a a, a symbol of the meeting place of the Lord, the Temple of Jerusalem had been destroyed. Now, when we to get to Haggai, the Babylonian Empire had now collapsed, and the known world is now ruled by the Persians. And in 539 BC, this is 19 years before Haggai is actually on the scene, the Persian king, King Cyrus, King Cyrus, allowed the return of any Jewish exiles who wanted to go back to Jerusalem. 
He said, go back to your land. And these Jewish exiles came back in waves. And they initially had the right intention to rebuild the temple that was destroyed. That was their initial intention. But however, they, they were met with opposition. When they returned back to the land, they were met with opposition from neighbors that had some kind of influence. And it, it swayed them not to build it. And so for 16 further years, the temple was left unbuilt, still left in ruins. They were back in their land, but the temple, the meeting place of the Lord, was still in ruins. Now, when I gave the message a year and a half ago in the first chapter of Haggai, I was focusing on misplaced priorities. And just to, just to draw up the um, first... Um, it's not, it's not working. You're going to have to do this for me, Lorraine, I'm afraid. Next slide for me, please. If we were going to look at the, uh, just a few verses, um, 4 to 6 in chapter 1, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. In other translations it says, Consider your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Challenging word to give to the people. And Haggai, he was challenging them. He was saying, you're building your own homes, your own fancy lives, but you're neglecting the temple. The temple the temple that is a symbol of God dwelling in the midst of his people, the very thing that is life-giving, you are neglecting. They were following in the footsteps of those before them, inadvertently walking in disobedience and not honoring the Lord their God. And as a result, the land that they were in was unproductive and they were struck with famine and drought because their focus was on the wrong thing. They were building up their own lives. They were building up their own well-building. We're comfortable and everything. But that temple was in ruins. And so I was initially drawn to revisit that first message. I was like, there's still so much in this. There's still so much that we can apply from this. And I was getting a little bit excited when I was reading over the words again, thinking, this is for us. And I was going over that first chapter. But then I, then I was like, no, it's not this. And so just to draw out a few highlights from that first chapter, is to understand that we are no longer living in a time when there are these so-called big temples, these big tents of meeting as they were, we are now referred to as God's temple. If you were to look, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3. And I believe that's the next slide. 1 Corinthians 3. We read these words in verses 16 to 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? 
If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred. God's temple is sacred. Paul here, Paul wrote this, this letter to the uh, church in Corinth. And he was speaking about the collective body of believers. The you that you read in that passage is plural. It's not singular. It's talking about the collective body. The body of believers that make up the local church. We are God's sanctuary that God inhabits. Isn't that a powerful statement? We are God's sanctuary that he inhabits. The church is holy in that God has set it aside to glorify himself. Even though it may not always be holy in its conduct and calling, the church is God's holy sanctuary to glorify himself. And we need to be united together in our work towards the Lord. And I think if we can be honest with ourselves, and when I was preparing this, I found myself constantly checking myself that we can be so consumed about our own lives that we can neglect the collective body. We can be so focused on what's the next thing that God's going to be doing for me? What's the next call? What's, what God, what do you have for me? That we can neglect that we're part of a bigger body, that we are all the church and we're here to serve one another. Now, I'm not going to revisit that first message, but I'm going to move on to his second message. And the next slide, it gives you the title of what I've called it, Moving Forward with Renewed Perspective. From this point... And for us as Centre Church, even if you're visiting, wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, may this be the day that we start to move forward with renewed perspective in the Lord. And so we're going to turn to Haggai's second message. It's Haggai chapter 2, and it's the first nine verses. It says this. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shotil, the governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw the house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Just nine verses. Haggai packs a punch, I tell you that. 
And so what I want to look at is just a few points. There's so many things I can pull out of this passage, but I'm just going to focus on a few of them. And the first of this is this, that what was is not what's to come. What was is not what's to come. See, Haggai, in this passage, he addresses the problem of shattered expectations among the people. Many were discouraged by the slow and difficult work of rebuilding the temple once again. No matter how hard they labored, they labored. Their efforts would not produce a temple as glorious as what they perceived was before. They were using scraps. They were using anything they could find. They were using any materials they could uncover to rebuild that temple. And they were getting discouraged because it wasn't looking like it was before. The temple in their eyes was unimpressive. It doesn't look as good as it used to be. And there were some amongst that remnant that would have actually had no memory of how the temple was before. Before it was destroyed. And the one that they're building in their eyes was nothing compared to the glory of the temple of Solomon. It's not good. The morale was low. They don't have gold or jewels, but scraps. It's not externally beautiful or perfect. It doesn't look good. And I dare to say, believe this is common in the church today. Where the future almost doesn't look as good as what we've navigated before. It doesn't look at the past. You know the good old days. You remember the good old days. The church used to be. I mean, we can be filled with a crippling disappointment that what we're doing and moving forward into is not as good as how it used to be. It's hard to move forward when forward does not look good as the past. And it can, we can become discouraged when it seems that our hard work Maybe even our offering counts for nothing. What's it building? What is it moving towards? But it's a dangerous place when we're comparing ourselves to others, but also comparing the church to what it was before. I mean, Alex shared a message a couple of weeks ago about what is the Lord speaking to you? When the Lord was speaking to Peter, he was asking Peter, will you... Lead my sheep. And Peter was like, I can't, I can't do that. What about John? He's like, I'm calling you to do it. What is God calling you to do? What is God calling us as a church to do? It's not about, it's not about what everybody else is doing. It's what is he calling us to do? Are we willing to do it? And living in the golden eras of the past can prevent us from seeing what God is doing ahead. We can live in this past state of saying, oh, isn't that great what God used to do then? Oh, how we wish it was now. Don't you know that there are greater things to come? Have our eyes fixed ahead. There are good things on the horizon. Living in a constant state of discouragement becomes a chain that can prevent us from stepping forward in God's future plans. I don't want to live in a state of discouragement. I want to live in a place of hope. And a place of expectation that the God of the past is the God of the day and the God of tomorrow. Yes? 
Let's get excited for what God can do. We can live in these past places, oh, it's not like that anymore. It's gone, it's, it's happened. We can rejoice in that moment, but there are greater things on the horizon. We've just got to contend for it. We've got to believe for it. We've got to press into it. In Philippians 3, verses 13 to 14, Paul says these words, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Pressing forward. Do you want to press forward? Are you, are you willing to do that? We're not going to reach our full potential in Christ by remaining where we are or longing for what has now gone. See, Paul, in that passage from Philippians, he was sharing about maturity and conformity to Christ. And when you look at the Christian walk, those of us who are given our lives to Christ, it is shaped by us moving from where we were to moving to where we're meant to be. We don't stay in the same place. That which is past had to happen for us to move into what is to come. Me giving my life to God, can you imagine that? I give my life to God and I stay exactly where I am. There's no growth. There's no maturity. We have to keep moving forward to grow in the Lord. And it's the same thing in the church. We can't stay stagnated where we are. We have to pull together and move forward into what God is leading us into. We, it's okay to remember the past successes and rejoice and be thankful for them. And it's okay to even remember the past failures and learn from them. But it's important in our minds and our desires that we do not remain in that place. And one thing I want to highlight that the people were doing here is it's not about the external grandeur. They were focusing on the external grandeur of the temple. It doesn't look like it did in the past. You know, great Solomon's temple that was golden and with all the jewels and everything like that. It doesn't look like that. It's not about the external grandeur. It's what it represents. It's, what, it's the core. It's the heart. God at the center. When you look at the church, it's not about what it looks like. It's not, it doesn't have to be picture perfect. It's the core. Christ, the cornerstone. The heartbeat of the church. I think we can be so focused on it looking attractive. Right? Perfect. To the time. We, get, we, used to, we have a time clock on the TV. I, I ignore it. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to limit God. If he's going to speak, he's going to speak. It's not about church being attractive. It's about the heartbeat. Pointing to God. Christ the cornerstone. And as believers, we need to be forward-looking and not dwell on what we have experienced or how things used to be, but rather on what the Lord still wants us to experience, reflect, and be in him for him going forward. What was is not what's to come. But mark my words, church, there are greater things on the horizon. We've just got to believe for them. We've got to, got to see it pull together. And the crux of my message is the second point this morning, which is be strong and get to work. Be strong and get to work. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? Guys, get to work. 
But it's true. The temple was not rebuilt by just a few hands. But all of them collectively putting together, doing their part, pushing forward with the same goal. You look in the passage in Haggai. He says, be strong, not only to Zerubbabel, not only to Joshua, but to all the people. And he says to all of them, work. Now is the time for us to be strong. Can I encourage you? Be strong in the Lord. Now is the time for us to get to work. It's an encouragement to stay true to the work to which you have been called instead of trying to compete or match what has been done previously. Like I said, and as Alex said in a previous message, God has got a work for you to do. My work may be different to your work. It's not about me trying to compete with you or you trying to compete with me or measuring to me or me measuring to you. It's us pulling together with what God has called each of us to do and serving one another humbly in love. Yes? Are we working for man's approval or for God's intended purpose? Yeah? God needs to be in the midst of all of our efforts. If he's not, it will all count for nothing. Like I said, three times the words, be strong, are used. Three times, be strong, to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, to the people. And it parallels the church today. And Paul outlines this, not only in like 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, but in other areas as well. He, he refers to the church as a body. That we, we have one body. I have this one body, but it's made up of different parts, different members. Can you imagine if my body was just made up of hands? It wouldn't be very nice, would it? It wouldn't be very functional. It has different parts, different functions. And it is in Christ as well that we who are many, we form one body, each of us belonging to the other. We don't all have the same part, but each part is vital. Can I tell you, you are vital in God's kingdom. You all have a part to play. And you may be comparing yourself to others, thinking, I'm not like that, I'm not like that. It doesn't matter. It's what has God poured into you? Grow in it, build in it. It is so vital to the body as a whole. We have different gifts and abilities that are to be used in service to one another and for the building up of the body and the church as a whole. See, I'm not here to speak over you and down upon you. I'm actually here to serve you. I'm not here to lord it over you. I'm here to get on my knees to wash your feet and lift you up. I'm here to serve you. And I want to serve you. I want to serve the church. And the next, this next thing is a challenge. This next point I'm going to raise is it going to be a challenge to our church. You can go back a second. Thank you. See, I believe that one of the greatest errors of the church in the UK and in the West is that we often look to one person 
the one senior leader, the one pastor to take the brunt of the responsibility. Why are so many pastors falling from grace or leaving the ministry? I'm hearing it more and more. So many times am I hearing that pastors falling from grace, leaders that have quit the ministry. And I believe it's because they are poured with responsibility that is not theirs to carry. Their expectation is cast upon them, which is not theirs to carry. You can put up that next slide now, thank you. And I just pulled up these, they're recent, they're only a couple of years old. But the percentage of pastors who have considered quitting full-time ministry within the past years, that's 2022, is 42%. 42%. And it's rising. 46% under the age of 45 are considering quitting. And some of the reasons include stress, loneliness, political division within the church, the weight of others' burdens, loving others who disagree with them, the unrealistic expectations cast upon them, and the sheer workload. See, pastors are not called to be pastors anymore. They're almost called to be like project managers, strategic thinkers, you know, managers over staff and the like, and the list goes on. They're meant to be financially aware and all these other things. All these expectations cast upon a pastor, no wonder they're burning out. No wonder they are no longer surviving in ministry. They're not meant to carry the weight on their own. You know what? Ever since I gave my life to God about 18 years ago, I've heard this same statement said then and it's still said today. And I'm not surprised it was said 50 years before even I was even on this earth or even more than that, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. How many times have you heard that? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Still hearing it today. And some people just accept it. Oh, that's just the way it is. Oh, that has always been like that. It's never going to change. Why accept it? Why do we accept that and say, that's just the way it is? How many times have you heard the passage quoted in Matthew 9? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. How many times have you heard that? And then we pray earnestly, and I believe it is an earnest prayer for the laborers to come forward. Time and time and time again. And I'm looking around the room and thinking, we are all laborers for the Lord. But are we actually laboring for the Lord? It can be so easy to just point out what we think should be done or how things used to be, what's not our approval to how church should function. But we're all a part of the body. We all have a part to play. We all have a function in the body. And now I'm not just talking about Sundays. I'm not just talking about the physical building. But wherever you go to go and do the work of the Lord, in your workplace, are you going to do the work of the Lord? I was so encouraged, Desiree, when you brought a testimony, I think about a month or so ago, about how you prayed in your workplace. You're bringing forth God into your workplace. Bringing covering there. Isn't that a, that's a boldness, that's courage. You're laboring for the Lord in your workplace. 
Are we doing the same in our workplace? I, I don't, I understand my full-time employment is in the church 24-7. It's a privilege. It's an honor. I understand that. It's like, well, of course, I'm going to usher in God in the church because that's my employment, right? But it's not about that. It's not about just saying, oh, it's easy for you. You're in the church. Wherever you are, are you ushering in the Lord? If we want to see Centre Church reach out to the community, we all need to pull together. We can't just wait for someone to say, let's go. If, you've got it, if God's poured it into your heart, maybe he wants you to be the one that takes the first step. As it says in Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's encouragement. It's not by our own strength. It's in his mighty power. Yeah? We don't have to... It can almost, this can almost seem overwhelming that we have to labor for the Lord. How are we going to do this? We're not on our own. The Lord is with us. And it's in his strength that we can do these things. And this is when we go back to that passage in Haggai. When he says, go and work, he follows it up with, for I am with you. So he tells them to labor. He tells them to get to work. But then he gives them this encouragement, I am with you. And it's the same thing for us. Get to work, church. But take heart, the Lord is with us. We're not on our own. And this is the promise of the Lord. And he promised this before when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt that he would dwell amongst his people. He promised here in Haggai that his spirit would remain among them. And you and I, we're in this New Testament era of the church now, following Christ's ascension, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, our great counselor, he's with us guiding us, leading us in the very works of the Lord. You know, the, the disciples were in the upper room in fear until that Holy Spirit came upon them, empowering them, enabling them for service. And then they boldly went out from being in a place in the room, they boldly went with the Lord. It's the same for us. We have the same Holy Spirit dwells with us. Are we still quivering hiding away? Or were we ready to be bold for the Lord once more? The church is meant to be a beacon. It's meant to be a light into our communities. And I think, I talk about the church generally, I think the church has almost been like shuttered into a corner. It's time to break out. It's time to be the light again. Let's go and labor for the Lord. Let's go and labor. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us, empowering us for service. Eliana preached on this as well. This is why I say there's been great words that have gone before us already. As she was talking about the virgins and the oil, it's like, what is it you're carrying? We carry the Holy Spirit, great power. And are we, are we refilling, being refilled in the Spirit? Or are we allowing it to be depleted within us?
See, this is why we should not fear what is ahead, because the Lord is with us. It may look daunting. We may not know what's ahead, but it's okay. The Lord is with us. What, what is it that we have got to do? We've just got to press on and do the work together. All of us together for the Lord. And so the final point I want to raise is to be encouraged by promise fulfillment. That's what Haggai brings forward in the last few verses of the passage. Be encouraged by promise fulfillment. He reminds the people of the great prophetic promises of the future kingdom of God and his temple. Greater work is before us. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? God is sovereign over the future, over the nations, over the wealth of the world. We should not fear the future. It may be different to what we've experienced and what we've walked through, but it's no less glorious. It's no less glorious. Haggai, he was encouraging the people that God would do again what he had done in the Exodus and on Mount Sinai. He would shake the heavens and the earth. He would shake it. Yeah? When God shakes it, it's evidence that he is intervening. He's bringing about change. When things need moving or shifting, God shakes it. He doesn't leave it as it was. I had a really bad analogy just come and pop into my head there. I was thinking of James Bond and Martini shaken, not stirred. He shakes up the church. I believe he's shaking up the church. And in Hebrews 12, verses 25 to 29, we hear this, we see the same thing referred to. The writer says this, he says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Do not refuse God. Are you listening to him when he's speaking? I believe the Lord has been speaking on countless occasions. He's been speaking in our services, in our previous meetings. Are we listening? Are we applying? Oh, are we just saying, no, well, that was a good Sunday. I can't wait for next Sunday. Are we listening? God will shake the earth and the heavens. In his dealings with mankind, God has shaken things up, and he will shake things up once more. He is shaking up the church. I've heard it not only in the local community, I've heard it in Scotland when I went up there, when I've seen other messages coming out from other churches. God is shaking up his church. 
He's, he's, coming, he's coming back to say, the way church is functioning is not how I want the church to function. We're going to shake it up. He's going to restore the church back to himself. There's, there should never be, these words, celebrity pastors, should never come out of a church. He's shaking it up. The kingdom that cannot be shaken is the messianic kingdom. God returning to bring universal peace to the earth. And you and I, we are part of this kingdom when we come to saving faith in him. And we can tap into that. Isn't that the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes? And so, our response to our Lord should be one of gratitude, should it not? Yes. Not complaining, not discouragement, not saying things are not how they used to be, but constant reverence and awe and gratitude to him. And this expression of gratitude should be acceptable service of God with an attitude of reverence and awe before the King of Kings. I think the fear of the Lord has been lost in our churches. We almost take God for granted. I'll, I'll get some God as and when I need him. And now I'll go back to my panelled houses and fancy lives. No, let's rip up that playbook and let's flip the narrative and say, God, I come to you in reverence and when I'm here to serve you, no matter the cost. Because he who promises faithful, there is a greater kingdom on the horizon that's coming. We can tap into it. It's all it's seeping through into our midst. Do we see it? Do we perceive it? Do we believe for it? Are we contending for it? Are we contending for it, church? We are to heed to our Lord God. And as I said, I believe a shaking is coming. It's unavoidable. A shaking is coming in which the earthly material order will pass away, leaving only the eternal kingdom. What is our response to that? Are we going to come back and walk in obedience to the Lord? Or are we going to do what those, those remnant of believers did when they were faced with initial opposition in rebuilding the temple? Oh, I'm, I won't do that. And, and walk, in, walk away from the task that is ahead of us. Haggai calls on the people to work in hope despite the disappointing circumstances. Can I ask you to do the same? No matter what you're walking through, to work in hope. You may be walking through disappointing circumstances, but there is always hope. There's always hope in the Lord. We can count on God's faithfulness to his promises as we boldly labored for him. Are you willing to boldly labor for the Lord? Are you willing to get your hands dirty, church, and get to work? Are you ready to pull together in unity? I'm just going to bring this to a close. One of the things I was praying before 
this morning was, Lord, help me say what needs to be said and hold my tongue. And I need to hold my tongue. I've got more notes, I'm not going to say them. It's not needed. But I don't want to make a call to us as a church. Are we willing to commit to work towards the cause? Are we ready for what God has got for us? As the saying goes, are we ready to pull up our socks and get going? You know, rather than being the one voice to point out the problem of what's not right or what could be better, maybe we can be the voice that's part of the solution. This is not happening, that's not happening. You know what? What's the solution? Let's pray together and find it together. Instead of putting people down, let's be people that lift people up. Instead of tearing people apart, let's be, let's be people that just come around one another. That's what the church is meant to be. To edify one another, to build one another up humbly in love, to serve one another. Let's serve again. Let's serve one another. Let's press on towards the goal. Are you believing for these things, church? Because I am. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm not going to sit back. I'm going to press forward. I'm going to move forward, contending for the Lord. And I want to encourage you guys, come on, let's go. Let's do it. Let's not rest on our laurels. Let's pull together and do the work for the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at centrechurch.uk or check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.